Hey, Much Music used to have a uh, show called Start Me Up. Do you remember that? Do you remember that, Jerry? I can't remember if it was a show that they used to start up their weekend. Vaguely. Yeah, that was back when you... Not to sound like a, like a grumpy old get-off-my-lawn Clint Eastwood, but that was back when Much Music... Uh, you'd actually tune in to Much Music to watch music. <laughs> they had music videos. My buddy Daryl Van Herxen and I used to say, it's not a party till they play the Stones, so... I guess we're kicking the party off early this weekend. I love it. It's only Thursday morning at 6.06. I love it too. First day of spring. First day of spring? First day of summer. Yesterday was the last day of spring. Happy summer solstice. Yeah, that's right. Uh, Exactly an hour. Uh, Like an hour ago? Is that when it happened? Yeah, 5.07 this morning. Yeah, the uh, the roads aren't happy about it though. (laughs) Okay, look. We can't build roads that stand up to the cold. Could we at least build roads that stand up to the heat? One or the other. I'm not fussy. Just, just, can you just pick one that we're good at? Yeah. Apparently not. Yeah, this is a bad spot. Had it happen yesterday. Pavement heaves in downtown Winnipeg, closing part of Portage Avenue. This was a section of Portage at Donald yesterday afternoon after the pavement buckle. The the median lane was still... Uh, pardon me, the median and center lanes uh, have been closed indefinitely. This was as of yesterday evening. The curb lane remains open. Expect delays. And that's westbound. So, yeah. Yeah, delays. That's a good word for it. I came through there at 4 o'clock this morning. I thought, what happened? What? Oh, more heaving concrete. Outstanding. Yeah. We've seen it in White Ridge and a couple of other neighborhoods around the city. So, I don't understand, like, how we can't. Get it right with building the roads in our town. I remember one of our listeners, we were having this discussion in the winter, asking about why is it that we can't build roads that can last through the winter and then that buckle or, you know, fall apart in the spring. And somebody explained it really well. It had something to do with the fact that we're in the Red River Valley. Sure. And the moisture in the mm-hmm. ground and et cetera, et cetera. But we can't be the only spot on planet Earth with cold and hot weather. Okay, now it's just by eye, but as far as I can tell, the Richardson building stands pretty straight after 40-something years since it was built. Yeah. You know, it's not tilting one way or the other. It doesn't move with the seasons. So we do have ways to do it. We can build stuff around here. So if you have any suggestions on how they can build the roads to hold up a little bit better, feel free to let us know. <laughs> Don says they can use the pedestrian barriers from Portage and Maine to fill in the hole at Donald and Portage. Oh, we'd open that conversation at 6.09 on a Thursday morning. <laughs> Thank you, Don. We appreciate that. As well, if you spot any trouble spots that are heaving or sinking, text us, 204-780-6868. You can email brett at cjob.com. Or GMAC at CJOB.com. Can't remember where it was, but I saw a spot where there was the there was just a little little pocket of road that had just decided to to go for a bit of a droopy nap. So I had to drive around it. At least I spotted it, because I have hit things like that before. I don't remember hitting one on Marion that I couldn't I guess it was dark and I couldn't quite didn't quite see the how it had leveled off just a little bit. And I thought, well, that's going to hurt. That's probably what caused my ball joint issue uh, last month when I had to take the car into Murray's. Well, so. speaking of uh, sinkholes and potholes, maybe they just need to mix a little Viagra into the concrete. <laughs> maybe that'll keep it from sinking. <laughs> 
hey man, we're looking for unique solutions to these problems. And on the subject of Viagra, here's a headline. <laughs> Burger King apologizes for offering burgers to women who become pregnant by soccer players. Oh yeah, this is great. What a, what a contest, Brett. <laughs> <laughs> first of all, who wants the Burger King burger in the first place? And what you have to do to get the burger is extraordinary. Yeah. What did you have to do to get free lifetime burgers in Russia at Burger King? Well, they uh, they offered a lifetime <laughs> supply of Whoppers yeah. to Russian women who get pregnant by 2018 World Cup players. What a great idea. Critics assailed the offer as sexist and demeaning. Well, yeah. So the announcement was removed on Tuesday from Burger King's social media accounts, but it was still circulating among Russian social network users. It promised a reward of free burgers to women who get, quote, the best football genes and, quote, ensure the success of the Russian team for generations to come. (laughs) No, they didn't. (laughs) Apparently ads in Russia often play on sexist stereotypes, notably ads around sporting events like the World Cup women's rights Activists have been increasingly speaking out against them. And this on the heels of that story where, like, the Russian government was imploring people not to to mix and have babies and to have uh, uh, relations with those visiting for the World Cup. So maybe there was a little bit of that in there. Maybe there was a little bit of a poking of the bear in terms of creating a contest on that front. But uh, seriously, man, how does this even get off the... You know, it, it's all well and good for one person to have this idea, but it's not one person coming up with the idea, creating this marketing plan, in quotation marks, tweeting it out, making all the points. No, there are multiple people that have to say, this is the da, good idea. Let's do this. Good, good, yeah, da. I, I remember once I was actually uh, in a call center that I worked at. I was involved in uh, sort of a consultation. They brought in some of the frontline people. And we, we sat down with people from the marketing department who had some ideas for stuff that we could do. And they are super excited about these ideas. And I was actually happy that they, they, they sought our opinion because we said, okay, good ideas. Now here are a thousand reasons why it's not going to work. This is stupid. <laughs> this sucks. This is, it was just, we, we gave it to them hard. I think they still ended up implementing the ideas anyway. But there, when there is, that level of incompetence in the idea, surely someone somewhere would say, maybe, maybe we shouldn't do this. Yeah. Now, after it's already been released, they're rescinding the contest and the offer. So good on you, Burger King. Unless, Finally came around. Unless this was the goal all along, to make headlines. You think? Because now I'm kind of, now I kind of want a Whopper. U.S. President Donald Trump has reversed his own policy of separating child migrants from their parents after claiming he did not have the power to do so. With more, here is CBS's Angelica Alvarez. President Trump signed an executive order ending family separation for immigrants who crossed the U.S. border illegally. We're going to have strong, very strong borders, but we're going to keep the families together. I didn't like the sight or the feeling of families being separated. Under the Trump administration's recent zero-tolerance policy, more than 2,300 children have been separated from their parents since May. Images of children in government-run facilities triggered a firestorm of protests. It is psychological torture 
what this administration is doing. The president had repeatedly insisted only Congress can fix the crisis, but in a meeting with congressional Republicans, he announced his reversal. If you're really, really pathetically weak, the country's going to be overrun with millions of people. And if you're strong, then you don't have any heart. That's a tough dilemma. The House is slated to vote on a pair of wider immigration bills on Thursday, both of which the president is said to support. This is very good compromise legislation that not only solves the child separation issue at the border, it also solves the border. It solves DACA. It solves a lot of our broken immigration uh, parts. But with the executive order addressing the immediate crisis, there's concern the pressure may be off some lawmakers to pass the immigration reform bill. Angelica Alvarez, CBS News. Capitol Hill. Now, yesterday before that executive order was signed, our Prime Minister, Justin Trudeau, condemned the separation of parents and children. What's going on in the United States is wrong. I can't imagine uh, what the families uh, living through this are enduring. Obviously, this is not the way we do things in Canada. U.S. President Donald Trump returned to his hardline immigration rhetoric after Trump told a rowdy crowd of supporters in Duluth, Minnesota last night, quote, we're going to keep families together, but the border is going to be just as tough as it's been. And he's again threatening to cut aid money to countries for failing to do more to stop migrants from reaching the United States border. Lots of people saying that's part of the problem, Brett, is that these countries where these immigrants are coming from, where they're seeking asylum from, don't have the economic opportunities that they have in the United States. So if America cuts foreign aid to these countries, all you're going to do is perpetuate this problem even further. Yeah. It, 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 it's, it's one of these circles of life. Speaking of uh, Circle of Life, that's from The Lion King, right? It is. Well, here's a, a we call it a slug. That's the, 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 the title, the headline, whatever, when a news story comes across our wire. Mm-hmm. And the slug reads, Belgium escaped lion. Saw this uh, about an hour and a half ago in Brussels where a zoo in Belgium had to be evacuated after a lion escaped from its cage. Well, it turns out they, the update is they had to uh, euthanize the lion after it escaped. Uh, didn't get out of the zoo area. No visitors were in danger, but uh, two there were two unsuccessful attempts to sedate the lion, so I guess they had to put it down. Well, that's sad. Yeah, it is. Osborne Village. The village, I can remember going there as a kid. It turned into something special. They tried to replicate it on Corden. I think they did a pretty good job. And then Osborne Village kind of took a couple steps back. But it sounds as though there's a bounce back in the step and on Osborne Street and in the village. Yeah, a new name is getting ready to take over an old space in Osborne Village. One that's been plagued by a revolving door of restaurants in recent years. Talking about Osborne and Stradbrook in the heart of the village. In 2008, it was home to Basil's. But then a water main break caused more than $1 million in damage. And it was forced to close its doors. And then it reopened in 2011 and then closed again two years later. Yeah, I mean, the restaurant business is tough to begin with. Black Rabbit then moved into the space we're talking about on Osborne, followed by Ward 1. I don't even remember that which was only around for about two months before closing in February. Another restaurant took over the lease, but it never moved in. 
Wow. Yeah. Didn't even know about that. Yeah. And now Pete's Place, which was a staple on North Main Street in West Kildonan, is looking to call it home. It will open next week. And as Global's Brittany Greenslade explains, they're joining a bunch of new businesses moving back into vacant shops in the village. Out with the old. In with the new. It's pretty insane. Getting to some sleepless nights, but feeling good. After sitting vacant since February, this corner of Osborne Village is getting a new tenant. Again. Pete's Place restaurant will be open in time for Canada Day. We're going to be full going. I mean, we'll have 200 seats in the restaurant. I think we have 50 seats on the patio. This corner has been a revolving door with at least four restaurants in the past five years trying to make it work. It's pretty hard to gain a following. Um, You kind of have to catch lightning in a bottle and, you know, get those certain people come in and, you know, give you a review and then it catches wildfire. Otherwise, it can be pretty difficult. But its new tenants say they aren't concerned. Very confident. Past things that have happened here had really nothing to do on the business aspect. It was more personal level. So you can't fault a beautiful space for, you know, sometimes poor management. And while Pete's Place may be new to the neighbourhood, it's no stranger to Winnipeggers. The restaurant has been around for more than 17 years. We're not changing. We still are who we are. Just in a new home. Brittany Greenslade, Global News. Now, I went to that Ward 1 when it was open, mm-hmm. and I wondered, is it, is it just too specialized? It was very specific in its cuisine. It was New Orleans-style kind of gumbo and, and stuff like that. I enjoyed it, but to go there on a regular basis, probably not. And it's just, that I wish them well, because that's kind of an odd, oddly shaped restaurant. And it's kind. Of, it's a big place. Two hundred seats. I was like, oh my word! I, I didn't. I commented to you. I saw it on the TV. It's like that's a big room. Yeah. And I've been there before. And two hundred seats. That's a, that's a big room. Yeah. But Pete's place. I don't know if you remember this, but we've had a couple of conversations. Uh, I believe we there. We had one about burgers. About where to get the best burgers in Winnipeg, and our listeners were texting us saying Peach Place is one of the best spots. And if you want a good sandwich, where to go for that? And Peach Place again popped up quite regularly. I can't remember if I was specifically asking where's the best Reuben, but regardless, I think if I, I do hope that they they succeed because you got to wonder if that building is cursed. I hope not, and uh, you remember Papa George's was always busy. It certainly was. I mean, it's been replaced by the Cornerstone, which is also a nice spot. Different kind of restaurant, though, right? It appeals to a different type of eater, I would say, Cornerstone, than what Papa George's did. Papa George's had that traditional Greek menu where it was a little bit of Greek food and everything else you could possibly want. Yeah. And I've been to Pete's Place for lunch a few times when it was in West Kildonan, and the, the food is terrific. Yeah, so I think that'll do well. And I was also excited, well, sort of excited to see the, the possibility, because I know that little pizza heaven is getting ready to expand. They're going to turn it into like a sports bar kind of cafe right now it's just a it, it's a it's just like a skinny little storefront right they've got a few tables basically it's a takeaway right it's a counter service with a, just a, like you say a handful of seats right yeah so now they're getting ready to expand there were two businesses 
right beside it, there was a Fabutan and a, I, think, I think it was a beauty shop called Smitten, if memory serves. And when I was walking by yesterday, both of those were gone. Mm-hmm. And immediately beside Little Pizza Heaven is the, the remnants of the old TD Bank. There's still an ATM there. So I don't know how much of that space they're getting ready to occupy. There's going to be a pizza place moving into the old spot where Second Cup was. Uh, there's going to be a cannabis... Oh, it looks like a, a cannabis dispensary is going to move into the former TD location. And then Delta 9, which is just around the corner on River Avenue, is going to expand as well. So lots of stuff happening in Osborne Village in in just the last few months. With all the new condos, with all the development that's gone on there, Brett, it, you know, parking was always an issue. I started going to the village, you know, in the late 1980s. And parking was a big deal then with all the new condominium development and whatnot. Is that its biggest challenge in the village? Uh, is is it parking? I think it's one of the challenges. When I was looking for an apartment, I looked at a building on Stradbrook. It's just west of Osborne. And the apartment was it was a pretty big place, huge bedroom. I liked it a lot. The rent was affordable. But I ultimately opted against it, not for my own parking situation, but in the event I wanted to have people over. Trying to find parking on the street on Stradbrook is, at the best of times, is difficult. At the worst of times, impossible. Same, I used to live on a spot on Wardlaw, and sometimes I'd have to park blocks away. Not the end of the world, and we've had listeners point out as well, there are plenty of spots where you can pay for parking in Osborne Village. But if you want that sort of quick access, yeah, I think parking is its biggest challenge. 6.51, Thursday morning, or as Shanalee Vidal likes to call it, pre-Friday. Shanalee, Kelly, Jeff, and of course the omnipresent behind the glass. Jerry joining myself, Greg Mackling, along with Brett McGarry in studio. We're going to have a little bit of coffee. You didn't even bring, oh, you did. You brought your coffee, Jeff. Every the, time, absolutely. The FIFA World Cup has been on for a week now. We've been seeing plenty of interesting stories come out of the games and, of course, the activities surrounding. We told you about Burger King's failed promotion earlier on in the program. Uh, we don't have time to tell you about it again. It, it, anyway, they cancelled it. <laughs> Look it up. <laughs> One of the most interesting one takes place in the stands, not on the pitch, Brett. Yeah, that's right. Uh, fans of Japan and Senegal have taken it upon themselves to do some post-game cleaning up. Not only have they been picking up after themselves, they've been picking up the trash left behind by other fans to ensure their section is tidy before leaving the stadium. So today we're having coffee talking. Do you pick up after yourself when you go to an event or do you abandon your trash on the floor for the workers to clean up? I got to tell you, this is one of my, this is a pet peeve of mine. If I go to a movie theater, is it really that hard to pick up your bag of popcorn and drink and carry it out with you and throw it away? It's not hard at all. And yet... They need a little fleet, uh, an armada of young people to, to walk in with their garbage bags and their their brooms to sweep up after all the slobs. Yeah, well, you know what? Jerry Seinfeld it. says it here. I think this is a spot. There is an agreed-upon deal between us and the movie theater people, whoever the hell they are. And that deal is understood by every single person in this room. The deal is, you're ripping us off. Okay, we get it, we're fine with it. In exchange for that, when I'm done with something, 
I open my hand. Okay. There are a lot of cleaners. Yeah, we got about four minutes here. So, Jeff, let's start with you. Movie theater. Uh, I usually take my stuff with me. Sometimes I forget, and when I do forget, it doesn't bother me at all because there's all those teens waiting to pick up trash anyways. It's jobs for kids. It's good stuff. But usually I take it with me because, like you said, it's not that hard. Shanalee? Uh When I was younger, I used to leave it behind because that's what you see everyone else do. But as it, now as a, as a grown-up, I'm, I'm conscious to take it with me as I go. But the thing is, when you're at a vent and trying to clean up, one of my biggest issues is the trash can. Because sometimes you can't clean up because the trash can is overflowing. Yeah, yep. that's just dumb. Yeah, that and that that is the one problem. If, whenever, if everybody cleans up after themselves, there are not enough trash cans to accommodate for all that garbage. So you end up having to cram it in or just sort of sit it atop the garbage can. So yeah, that's a problem. I When I was, uh, when my parents were, take us to McDonald's or whatever when we were little kids, they, they taught me that uh, the garbage cans were like these mo- hungry monsters. And that's why it said thank you on the garbage can because you had to, f- so if you fed the monster, he was saying thank you. So I learned what I was from right when I was a little kid to clean up after yourself. It makes it eat. Yeah, it's good for the jobs for the kids, but it, right. the faster they can do their job of wiping the table, the faster you can sit down if it's busy, especially if you're standing in a lineup to get into a movie theater. The one I always struggle with is at, at like a McDonald's where you try and dump your tray into the garbage. Yeah. And the sheet of paper won't ever go with it. Yeah. But I don't want to touch it because it's gross. Everything's just gross. And <laughs> I would say probably 5% of the time I end up like accidentally dropping the whole tray into the garbage and then I just leave it too. I don't even go in. I'm not going in after it. But it, it just never works smoothly for me. It's always and a source of great anxiety. I spend the whole meal worrying about how I'm going to dispose of the garbage <laughs> after it. Well, well, to paraphrase uh, the clip I was trying to play from Seinfeld, he says, look, we know you're overcharging us at the theater. And part of the deal is that when I'm done with my drink, I get to open my hand and just drop it on the floor. That's that's the trade-off, right? There's a little bit of that mentality for a lot of people. And at sporting events, you see it as well, Kelly. Oh, yeah. Does it drive you nuts? Does it bother you? Uh, it doesn't really bother me. Personally, though, uh, I, I used to kind of leave my stuff behind until I remember there was one night we were in Indianapolis at this old, old theater and we saw the rats going up the wall. So I, uh, yeah, I I take my stuff with me from now on just out of general principle after seeing that. (laughs) uh, We stayed and watched the rest of the movie too, by the way. (laughs) Okay. I I always do and always have taken the garbage with me and put it where it needs to go. Yeah. Whether that be in the garbage can or in the face of the kid who was kicking my chair. (laughs) So how is it that four of six of us say that we clean up after ourselves? Scoffla, uh, Jeff Braun, and... No, I said I clean up after myself most of the time. At the theater, though? I thought you said you just left it behind. No, no, no. Most oh. of the time, I'll take it with you. Okay, sorry. My Occasionally, apologies. I'll forget. So then, then five of the six of us uh, proclaim to clean up after ourselves at movie theaters. But I guarantee that's not the real life ratio when you go to the movie. No, five of six cleaning up after themselves. No, and we got a text here from somebody who uh, validates what Jeff was suggesting. There, he says there. He or she says there's few jobs left that computers can't take away. If people didn't leave their garbage in the theater, I wouldn't have had a first job, which bought my first car and helped me become an independent person. Oh, I'm going to scatter the popcorn yeah. on the floor then before I leave now. <laughs> <laughs> popcorn for everyone! Woo! 
Yeah, that's right. Uh, Don also says, who can afford to eat at the movies? Well, that's a good well, point. That's well, that just goes back to Seinfeld's thing. We know we're, you're ripping us <laughs> off. This is part of the deal. Prior- priorities. That's why we smuggle shoes, so we can afford the popcorn <laughs> at the theater. Today is not only the first day of summer, Brett, but it's also a very important day for us to recognize. June 21st is Indigenous Peoples Day. A huge celebration is taking place this Saturday at the Forks, featuring a powwow, live musical performances, and even a bannock competition. Those not able to make it out to the event on Saturday will be able to watch the event at home. So to give us a preview of 2018 Indigenous Day Live, we are joined by Sky Bridges, COO of APTN and organizer of the event. Sky, good morning to you. Good morning and happy National Indigenous Peoples Day. Well, it's an honor to have you on the program with us today, Sky. Tell us uh, about this day. When did it come into being and and how are folks going to be celebrating before Saturday? And then we can talk about what APTN is doing, not only here in Winnipeg, but right across the country. Sure, absolutely. So, uh, So last year, the day was changed from Aboriginal Peoples Days to um, uh, Indigenous uh, People's Day. And uh, the day was created in order to acknowledge and uh, celebrate Indigenous people and and culture. And uh, across the country, uh, communities celebrate in various different ways. Uh, and uh, and there will be lots happening across the country today, of course, and, and leading up into the weekend. And uh, it is just a great opportunity to acknowledge the Indigenous people in this country and the contributions uh, that they have made. So then on June 23rd, on Saturday, there's an event uh, that APTN is putting on that's happening not just here in Winnipeg, but in Toronto and Ottawa as well. That is correct. So APTN, now this is the 12th year that we have had Indigenous Day live, and this year we'll be coming live, as you mentioned, uh, from Toronto, Ottawa, and uh, Winnipeg, which is quite a feat and it is an exciting celebration. So, you know, Sky, when we talk about uh, this uh, celebration of Aboriginal and Indigenous culture, I don't know anyone that's ever been to a powwow or any sort of uh, First Nation celebration that doesn't come away absolutely blown away by the music, by the ability of the dancers to to perform the way they do. Uh, Why is uh, celebrating culture and getting together in this fashion uh, so beneficial in, in helping break down barriers that, that exist between culture. I'm so glad that you bring that up. And, you know, it's absolutely true. Every year I meet new people who come down to the Forks and participate in the powwow or in the sunrise ceremony, and it gives them an opportunity to reconnect with culture. And there's still many people who feel that, um, you know, it's just for Indigenous people. Well, it's not. In fact, it's for everyone. And uh, it is just so important in order for us in Canada to understand each other in cultures that you show up. Showing up is where you get exposure to understanding the culture. And in today's world, the landscape, many of the conversations around Indigenous people are usually not in the most positive light. So this is a day where we really want an opportunity to invite Canadians in to experience our culture. And there's a few different ways in which you can actually do that on June 23rd at the Forks. So, and I'm just looking here, I see, it sounds like this was kind of a monstrous effort here to make Indigenous Day uh, live happen in Winnipeg, Toronto, and Ottawa, because I also see that uh, it's coinciding with a couple of big events that are happening in in both Toronto and Ottawa. Uh, 
Absolutely. You know, I mean, Toronto is a busy city. There's, uh, there's always a, a many options for people to take in. Uh, we have a great lineup, you know, on that stage, as well as the one uh, in Ottawa. We partner with local organizations uh, in both cities who year over year put on Indigenous uh, events, uh, you know, throughout this weekend. So uh, I know that there's still going to be a great um, showing of the Indigenous people who live in those cities, as well as those outside of it. And here in Winnipeg, uh, we've had the benefit of having it here for 12 years in a row and uh, we get tens of thousands of people showing up at the Forks. So Sky, give us an, uh, an idea if we come to the Forks, who we, will we see performing live? Some names that uh, folks are bound to recognize. Well, we have, of course, a mixture of, of those that they may not recognize and recognize, as you said. Uh, one, of, one of Winnipeg's own, William Prince, uh, will be performing. We have Midnight Shine. Uh, we have Skylar, who is a rising Indigenous artist, and one that most people would probably recognize would be Walk Off the Earth. Now, if you, obviously, if you're in Winnipeg, the best way to take this in is to go to the event. But if someone's listening from outside of the city, but they want to check it out, uh, how do they do so? So they tune into APTN on television, or uh, they can go to IndigenousDayLive.ca on the website to uh, watch the stream. Uh, and uh, the live broadcast will take place at 7 p.m. The uh, live uh, portion of the stage in Winnipeg is 7.30, but we have a pre-show for everybody who's down there early at 6 p.m. And of course, there's all kinds of events happening throughout the day at start early in the morning. All right. Sky Bridges, COO of APTN, an organizer of Indigenous Day Live, which is on Saturday. Thank you very much for joining us on this National Indigenous Peoples Day. Have a wonderful day. You too. 713 on 680 CJOB. I'm glad you pointed that out as well, Greg, on the culture. I was the, when I was at the funeral a couple of weeks ago uh, for a friend of mine who, who took his own life. There was a smudge uh, ceremony as well and i'd actually never i'd heard of smudge ceremonies but i'd never seen one never been a part of one and uh yeah there's something just very serene uh, almost otherworldly otherworldly about it and uh it's nice when you get one culture building a bridge into another culture uh, in the form of a celebration whether it's a celebration of joy or life or, or whatever a dancing every time i see that See indigenous performances. It just I, I sit there kind of dumbfounded. Like how are they? How are they doing that? I want to know how they do that. You know so. everything from the hoop dancing to the to the other forms of uh, First Nations performance. I, like I say, I don't know anyone, and I know lots of people who've been to powwows that don't come away marveling at the event itself, the experience, and it's such a great way. I think that's why Folklorama is such an incredible success. And, and, and putting yourself in the culture is such a great way to uh, build at least a, 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 maybe it's just a building block to and a basis for understanding and getting along a little bit better. It has been set for the sale of recreational marijuana in Canada, with Ottawa marking October 17th on the calendar as the day will officially be legal in this country. After a landmark vote in the Senate, the bill is on its way to the Governor-General for royal assent before it officially becomes law. Justin Trudeau says the government delayed the legalization schedule in order to give the provinces and territories more time to prepare. It will all look very different from province to province. And this one, Manitoba moving ahead with a ban on growing it at home, despite the fact the feds say Canadians can plant it in their dwelling. 
added up and it could lead to a legal challenge. Here's Global's Joe Scarpelli to explain. The federal legalization bill specifies that individuals can grow as many as four plants per dwelling, but both the Manitoba and Quebec governments both said not in my province. And the federal justice minister says Ottawa won't force the two provinces to follow the federal legislation. It is not the intent of the federal government to challenge provincial laws. Um, That is not our place. Um, However, um, there may arise um, a challenge by an individual of a other jurisdiction's law. So it'll be up to Manitobans themselves to challenge the zero home grow regulation. Manitoba's Justice Minister Heather Stephenson says the province is willing to defend the ban in court. The legislation is what it is. It's under provincial jurisdiction to decide to have zero home grow and uh, we will continue to defend that position. We spoke to one criminal defense and civil rights lawyer about individuals challenging the province. He's handled a number of marijuana-related cases and believes both sides would be in for a fight. That is Global's Joe Scarpelli. Also under Manitoba's plan, you have to be 19 years old to purchase or smoke marijuana one year older than the legal drinking age. Yes, that music means it's time for the Small Town Salute brought to you by South Beach Casino and Resort, where service sets them apart. SouthBeachCasino.ca. Brett, this week in honor of the movie Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom, which opens tomorrow, don't need to tell you that, we thought we would check in with the folks at the Canadian Fossil Discovery Centre, home of Bruce, the largest mosasaur on display in the world. And we are joined live on 680 CJOB by Peter Cantillon, Executive Director of the Canadian Fossil Discovery Centre in Morden. Peter, good morning. Good morning. So, first of all, Bruce, the uh, the Mosasaur, how big is Bruce? So Bruce is just over 13 metres or 43 feet long. Wow, that's a, that's a large yeah, you beast. Can, you imagine a school bus. Yeah. Somewhere in that in that range. So have you seen the footage or the trailer for Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom? Oh yeah, absolutely. Many times. There's that scene where there's someone surfing and there's riding this massive wave and then you can see kind of the shadow of a <laughs> large sea creature. Is that a mosasaur? Uh yeah. Yeah, actually. It's also a um, you know, a reason why we're thankful that uh, while we don't like to see species go extinct, uh, we are thankful that we don't have to surf with those today. Yeah, you're not kidding. I was mentioning to Brett that 43 years ago yesterday, Jaws opened up in the theaters and ruined my life forever, but that's <laughs> beside the point. Uh, this whole fascination with dinosaurs uh, is not a new thing, uh, but kids, I think, are are into these, uh, these creatures as much as they've ever been, uh, Peter. Yeah, you know, it's, there's so many things about dinosaurs that fascinate, and they combine so many interests. I mean, kids are kids are interested in rocks and gems. Uh, they're interested in searching. They're interested in mystery. And and with dinosaurs, you combine geology and biology and uh, and the mystery of life that is no longer with us, but in some way is still connected to us. And and when you put it all together, and the fact that dinosaurs reflect in many ways. Uh, the image uh, that we've been uh, developed over the years of, 
dragons and monsters and things like that. I think it's just the whole package uh, combines to create a very fascinating subject. Now, I'm just curious, the, the size of this Mosasaur that we see in the trailer, uh, is that accurate or is he a little bit bigger for, the, for Hollywood purposes? It's a tad, a tad larger. I'd say that um, it's probably a good twice, uh, twice the size uh, that it should be. And then we'll have to, we'll have to, um, we'll have to use the genetic research uh, that they're doing as the loophole through which that's what. <laughs> Is there any, any possibility that this could ever happen? That someone could recreate dinosaurs? Okay, you know, that's been in the news a lot, especially around Jurassic World and Jurassic Park back when it came out. And there's always there are always people who say, yeah, we can do this. Like recently someone said that it'll, be, it'll happen within the next five years. The reality is that while we may understand the processes of how to do these things, uh, we may even develop the technology to do these things. It, the, the, the difficulty in making it work is so astronomical that I frankly don't believe we will see anything remotely like it happen in our lifetime. I've actually read this book by Michael Crichton and was fascinated just in the terms of the science and how they did it. And of course, it, it sounds so simple, right? You you find a mosquito yeah. frozen in time, essentially in an ember, and you and you melt down that ember and very carefully take uh-huh. out the blood from the mosquito. It all makes a ton of sense, but oh, to yeah. do it in practicality, obviously. Uh, you know, would be very expensive if not impossible. But, you know, you never say never in this day and age. And I never say never when it comes to other sorts of creatures. Tell us about where Bruce lived once upon a time. And and please help me feel more comfortable about putting my feet in Lake <laughs> Winnipeg and Lake Manitoba and tell me that Bruce's relatives may not still be plying the waters of Lake Manitoba in particular. You know, you might have heard of that Manipogo guy. <laughs> sure. Um, you know, uh, we are seeing mosasaurs from the range of about 80 million years ago. That's what we're finding in and around Manitoba. And in that time frame, Manitoba is essentially... Uh, the bottom of an inland sea that ran from the Arctic Ocean all the way down to the Caribbean and saw marine reptiles and various other marine creatures moving up and down the coast and into the seaway as well. Um, Today, of course, we don't see these kinds of things, uh, and we're thankful uh, because uh, mosasaurs like Bruce would have eaten everything that they could get their jaws into. They were apex predators. They drove sharks out of the area. They were they were literally the most fearsome thing uh, that we had. Today, the closest thing you're going to run into uh, in Manitoba are the uh, snakes at Narcisse, which are pretty friendly and preoccupied, and then the, um, the turtles and tortoises that we would run into, uh, and they're all wonderfully harmless. Uh, of course, stay away from the snapping turtles. But beyond that, <laughs> uh, you know, it's safe to it's safe to swim wherever you go. What other kind of stuff you got on display at the Canadian Fossil Discovery Center? Well, we've got quite a bit. We've got, uh, and most of it is reflective of Manitoba, at least at the age of 80 million years ago. So sharks, squid, uh, marine birds of various kinds, uh, Turtles, giant turtles like the Archelon that were as big as a Volkswagen Beetle. We have some of their fossils on display. We have a dinosaur display with a fantastic 22-foot-long or 7-meter-long Allosaurus, sort of like a half-sized T-Rex from the Jurassic era. Uh, Edmontosaurus fossils as well. Like There's just 
uh, no shortage of things. And we're bringing new things in every dig season. Peter Cantillon is executive director of the Canadian Fossil Discovery Centre located in Morden. And, uh, you know, it's all well and good to build a centre like this and have displays. But if nobody comes to see them, it's sort of all for naught. And it, it doesn't hurt that Morden and that area, the Pembina Valley, is a beautiful place to visit in the first place, Peter. Oh, yeah. I mean, you've got so much to do here. We're, we're adjacent to the Pemina Valley. We've got tons of great camping. We've got one of the only uh, drive-in theaters left in the province down here. Uh, fantastic lake. Stephen Street, I mean, the shopping and boutiques on Stephen Street alone. And we're a five-minute drive from Winkler as well. So, I mean, you've got so much that people don't realize is down here. Not to mention our roadside attractions, which we've been developing. So we have a replica of Bruce on the highway that's 50 feet long and a big Archelon turtle like the one I mentioned and a new one going in this summer as well. Well, Morden actually is one of my favorite places to visit. It's such a nice spot and uh, one of the nicest golf courses in Minnewasta that Southern oh, yeah. Manitoba has to offer. I'm actually, I might be heading down there uh, next week, so I'll see if I can get down to the Fossil Center as well. Um, do you, what's your website? www.discoverfossils.com. Tons of information on there about our programming and uh, the things you can see at the museum. Peter, thanks uh, for your uh, for the access. We appreciate the contributions you make to our radio station and for all the cool stuff you do out there in Morden. Well, thanks a lot. Really appreciate it. Peter Cantillon, Executive Director of the Canadian Fossil Discovery Centre. Jurassic World Fallen Kingdom officially opens tomorrow, but you can see it tonight if you want. Those Thursday night, they call them preview screenings. That starts tonight if you want to get your hands on tickets. And uh, Stardust uh, Drive-In in Morden showing Ocean's 8 this weekend if you want to take a ride out to Morden. Nice. And uh, see that on the really big screen in the drive-in and kind of relive a bygone era. He's Brett. I'm Greg. Thanks for sharing part of your day with us. Andrew Shear, you know him, the leader of the Conservative Party of Canada, as well as the leader of the official opposition, asked the Prime Minister a couple of fairly basic questions in the House of Commons yesterday. Shear rose in the House to ask Justin Trudeau about a newly acquired play structure at a government-owned mansion at Harrington Lake, which is the official summer Prime Minister's residence. I'm not sure what's more concerning, Brett. The fact that there is a $7,500 swing set to discuss? Yes, $7,500. Is it plated in gold? (laughs) Maybe. Uh, Maybe it's fair to call it a play structure. Not certain as my kids won't be playing on it anytime soon. What's more bothersome, the cost of the play structure or the Prime Minister's answer to the question? Here are both. Instead of planning for Canada's economy against the external threats that face us, where are his priorities? Where are his investments? Well, $8,500 for new boat racks, $13,000 for a new deck with sun umbrellas, and $7,500 for a new play structure. Now, I've bought many swing sets and play structures for my kids. Can the Prime Minister tell me what exactly is part of a $7,500 swing set? Right, Honourable Prime Minister. Can you hear the coughing in the background from some of the other members? We have on the commitment to invest in the middle class and those working hard to join it, and that's exactly what we've done. 
first thing we did was lower taxes for the middle class and raise uh -huh. them on the wealthiest 1%, which the Conservatives voted against. Then we delivered on a Canada Child Benefit that Why helped $9,500 $9, swing set, Mr. Prime by Minister. not sending child benefit checks to millionaires and is lifting hundreds of thousands of kids out of poverty across the country. And the Conservatives voted against it. Mr. Speaker, the Conservatives continue an answer uh, in there to anywhere, offer boutique no. tax cuts uh, for the wealthiest Canadians while we are supporting Mr. Trudeau and uh, Greg right Salinger must have gone to the same po we political school. We will continue school. to do just that. <laughs> All right. Talking about the about the you know the uh, focus of Canadians and the priorities of Canadians. Okay, Andrew Shear tries again. The honourable leader of the opposition has the floor. Mr. Speaker, the Prime Minister is writing checks from taxpayers' accounts to his own family to reimburse for personal costs. It doesn't end there. Twenty-eight thousand dollars to groom his cross-country ski trails. Five thousand dollars for a new golf cart, and more than four thousand dollars to wire up his new sauna. But I have to come back to the swing sets. I, I, I've bought several for my family. I'm trying to imagine what goes into a seventy-five hundred dollars swing set. Can the prime minister tell me? Is there a chairlift for the slide? Are the seats on the swing ergonomically designed? And will he finally reimburse taxpayers for that? He's going to answer now, right? You got to think so. Right? He's going to give a reasonable explanation here. The National Capital Commission is responsible for ensuring the appropriate and timely maintenance for all official residences, including Stornoway. The NCC is conducting much-needed rehabilitation work at Harrington Lake in order to conserve this federally designated heritage building. The RCMP will also be conducting work to enhance the security features at Harrington Lake, and the NCC is working to address these issues in a timely fashion. What does that have to do with the swing set? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. Okay. You want to try one more time? Do we need to... Play number three. Mr. Speaker, I just want to know from the Prime Minister, if you will allow me, I will be seeking unanimous consent after question period to table the following document. It is entitled, quote, Sports Power 8 Station Swing Set. It has a wonderful slide, it has a seesaw, it has several swings, and it only costs $198. Will he allow me to table this after question period? with the United States. Uh, we are seeing horrific images of uh, children uh, being, uh, being detained across the United States. Uh, we are uh, seeing Indigenous peoples in the... All right. This is why people tune out politicians and politics overall. I get what Trudeau is talking about. He's saying, really, this is what you want to focus on? We've got more important things, more important fish to fry... But it's a simple question, and it's $7,500 of taxpayer money going towards frivolity. Yeah, it's great that uh, the kids got a nice uh, nice swing set, but seriously, $7,500? Just answer the question. Well, and if there's some sort of justification for it, present it. Instead of dodging around it, yeah, this is a government-owned asset, and they're doing this, and they want it to last for a long time. This is a good investment because... Yeah, this is why. You're exactly right. This is why people get uninterested in politics and politicians, because they can't answer a question. Yeah, just say, you know what? I actually don't know. I didn't realize it was that expensive. I'm going to look into that. Is that so hard? Does that, is it weak 
to say that? Would he be perceived as weak? I don't know. Especially this uh, this prime minister who was elected, I think, based on the fact that he has an ability to connect with real people, with real Canadians. Yeah, you know what, uh, Justin, your image on that front is suffering greatly, and you didn't do yourself any favors yesterday, bud. Generation Z isn't interested in dating or sex. What? Well, or so we thought. Experts say even though research shows they may be having less sex on average, it doesn't mean they aren't interested in making sexual connections. This is the fourth story of an eight-part series on the Generation Z population in Canada, who they are, what drives them, and how they envision their near future. Anything from, I'd say, like going Instagram official to just constantly being featured on, you know, one Snapchat stories, like that is, I think, what some people in Generation Z consider to be a meaningful relationship. Dating nowadays is same as it was, just with a little more tweaks to it. Yeah, in my age group, people are always talking about dating and marriage and stuff like that, and everyone's, like, everyone's really overdramatic about it. Well, everybody has a friend who knows a friend who's single, and they're like, hey, my friend over here is single, and you're single, do you guys want to meet up? So they go to Pizza Pizza one day, and it's just something simple like that. Mostly through school or some social media, like Instagram, like they'll see a picture and be like, oh, I like that person. The most uh, surprising things uh, that I'm taken aback by is uh, the short term of the relationships. Um, you know, especially with the advent of tools like uh, Tinder and social media overall, uh, it's become easier to jump from person to person. I've met uh, women uh, through social media, through Twitter, through stuff like that that I've dated. Um, but I think the best interactions and the best dates and the best people you meet are still face to face. You'll see on social media like relationship goals, something like that, yeah. Um, people think that's cool now. In regards to marriage and children, um, I think we have a we have a cynical outlook on life. We have the optimism to believe that we can fix things, but we don't know if uh, we'll be able to remedy the problem to an extent where we're ready to pass it on to, you know, offspring. <laughs> That's very daunting. And if you want to read more, you can go to globalnews.ca, cjob.com. The headline, Generation Z isn't interested in dating or sex, or so we thought. Part four of an eight-part series on Generation Z, who they are and what drives them and where do they see their futures. Dennis DeYoung, Tommy Shaw, Sticks. One of their strangest songs and maybe their most popular song of all time. Could it be by a landslide, Jerry? Oh, I think so. <laughs> it's not even a great song, but at the time, it was it was the bomb. I remember listening to this on a 45 over and over and over and over <laughs> you again. You and me both, brother. That's Jerry. I'm Greg, and he's Brett. It's Macklin McGarry in the morning on this Thursday morning. And, Brett, we have to ask this question. Are we one step closer to robots being sentient beings? Oh, boy. A computer designed by IBM is making some remarkable strides in artificial intelligence. It's called Project Debater, and it's programmed to debate humans on real-life topics. Here's more from Global's Reed Feist. The supercomputer has evolved, and with it, artificial intelligence. Proof? This debate on government subsidies for space travel, where it's a human versus machine. There are two criteria that I believe the government needs to meet before subsidizing something. 
it being a basic human need, we don't see space exploration meeting that, and B, that this is something that can't otherwise exist. The computer listens and robots. Subsidizing space exploration is like investing in really good tires. It may not be fun to spend the extra money, but ultimately you know both you and everyone else on the road will be better off. Even comes up with a clever analogy. Wow. That's horrifying. Yeah, that's scary. <laughs> I don't like it. Okay, well, we figured there was only one person in our country to reach out to to speak to about this Canadian science fiction writer, extraordinaire, and futurist, Robert J. Sawyer. He joins us now. Good morning, Robert. Nice to catch up with you. Good morning, my friends. How are you? We're doing very well. How are you after listening to this clip? I mean, you know as much about this as, as many people on the planet know about artificial intelligence. Is this a little bit too too comfort too close for comfort in terms of reality? Well, the the upsetting thing is when a computer argues a position with a human to try to persuade the human to do something, which, of course, is the center of a debate format. You want to win the debate. Now, if you ask your computer, say your, your doctor says you should have, let's say, open heart surgery, you may want all the advice, not just your doctor's opinion. He's gung-ho to do it. He's uh, gets to rack up a big fee and so forth. You want all the advice. So you might want to say, computer, or whatever your assistant's name is, tell me the pros and the cons so I can make an informed decision. But the flip side of that is when you say, computer, it's election day. Who should I vote for? And it gives you its considered opinion instead of letting you help it, uh, having it help you make your decision. So it's scary when it's advocating a position. I don't know why IBM pick the debate format instead of saying, you know, IBM, uh, computer, tell me the pros and cons and synthesize all that information that's out there on the internet for me that I can't possibly wade through myself. That would have been a plus. Well, Robert J. Sawyer, let me ask you then on pros and cons, what are the pros and cons of having a computer like this, a computer called Project Debater? Well, the, yeah, the name just isn't the right name. It doesn't fit well because we don't want to be debating with our machines. We always want to be the decider, as George Bush used to call it, right? We want to be the one who makes the ultimate decision. I would love to see anything that helps us get through our information bubbles, you know, these silos we exist in online where you only hear left-wing or only hear right-wing news sources. You only hear pro-environment. You only hear pro-business, depending on which channels you happen to listen to, right? It would be nice to have a machine that when you say, here's a topic, I want to know the pros and the cons. Because what this technology does is it sifts through everything on the internet, and then it assigns a confidence rating. It says, okay, this article here is cited by all these other articles. It's probably true. This article here, this blog post, is one guy crying out in the wilderness it's probably biased and possibly not even true at all. Let me synthesize and get you a consensus of what, you know, the other 7 billion human beings are thinking on this. That's a wonderful technology. Let me tell you what to think. 
that's a terrible technology. Well, and that is what you're describing is contrary to how social media works now, right? There's an algorithm that uh, basically allows you to create your own choir or your own preacher, depending on how you look at it. And it's sort of giving you the information that it thinks you're going to agree with because of your past search and viewing history, correct? That's absolutely true. And I guess that's the one plus about a debater when you say, okay, tell me why I'm wrong. Here's my stance. Take the opposite side and force you to hear those other arguments. You know, should uh, the federal government have uh, bought the, uh, the pipeline, for instance? You know, go back and forth. Tell me. I think they should. Well, tell me why I'm wrong. In that sense, if something is going to challenge your preconceptions, it may, you know, be a useful intellectual tool. But how many of us wake up in the morning and say, okay, world, tell me why my worldview is wrong. Most of us wake up and say, okay, tell me why what I've been believing all along is true. So it'd be very interesting to see what, if any, practical applications this uh, Project Debater computer has. Robert, I'm just looking at Google right now. One headline from NBC says, new IBM robot holds its own in a debate with a human. Project Debater gets its knowledge from hundreds of millions of journal articles, but humans still have one key advantage. I haven't had time to peruse the article yet, but in your view or estimation, what do you suppose the advantage that we have is on this machine? Oh, I think we saw this in uh, what just went down in the United States. Donald Trump made the perfect computer decision. The law is the law. We should separate children from parents in order to force the border wall issue and get my funding for what I want. Human compassion even finally reached the desk of the president of the United States. And yesterday he overturned that rule. We always, it's great to have all the facts in the world for making your decisions, but still there are all kinds of decisions, right? You could, a computer could have very easily justified the policy of separating children from their parents as being the most effective deterrent to more uh, illegal families uh, crossing over the border or, or families crossing over the border without the proper documentation. But a human makes the compassionate decisions. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I don't care what all the facts are. That just feels wrong to the heart. And we're a long, long way before a computer will be able to say the same thing. Now, uh, before I commend you on your foresight in Quantum Night and uh, predicting a almost bang-on uh, Stanley Cup run for the Winnipeg Jets, we'll talk about that in a second, <laughs> Robert. But, you know, you talk about this uh, computer-generated decisions, and could this eventually be the downfall of autonomous vehicles, the fact that they do have to make these black-and-white decisions without any human compassion? Do I hit the tree or do I hit the, 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 the family walking the dog? Is an autonomous vehicle going to be able to make that distinction? Well, it's interesting that the first debate that the uh, project debater did was whether or not we should fund space exploration. And the humans said government should only do things that can only be done by government. In other words, it shouldn't do space travel because the private sector can do that. In regulating autonomous vehicles, only the government can do that because no consumer is going to buy a car that says, okay, given the choice between killing me and killing somebody else or doing property damage, never kill me. That's always going to be the choice of the consumer. And it's not necessarily the right choice for society. The right choice for society is 
you know, do the least damage possible to the world at large. So if I have to die because three kids who run in front of my car need to be saved, well, then that's the choice. So in that sense, uh, actually being able to debate and weigh both sides is what we're going to look for our autonomous vehicles, but it's only government that can force that on it. Human consumers will always choose for whatever is going to protect themselves the most. Robert J. Sawyer, we only have time for one more question here. Uh, it's a simple one. Why are we continuing to chase artificial intelligence? What's the benefit to the world? The benefit to the world is we now have more knowledge available, more data available than ever in human history. We essentially doubled the amount of information the human race had in the last century compared to everything we had previously. And no one human being, even if they spend, you know, the 10 years in university to get a PhD, by the time you finish that PhD, your whole field has changed so much that you're already obsolete the day you get the diploma. We need artificial intelligence to marshal, to go through, to sort out and find the nuggets of gold in all that information for us, to know what's worth knowing and what's worth ignoring. Robert J. Sawyer, we'll have to have you back to talk more about Quantum Night and to uh, revisit that storyline. We always appreciate the access to you, my friend, and appreciate the work that you do and the, uh, and the, uh, the focus you bring on these topics. Thank you. Anytime. Domo arigato. <laughs> uh, Hugo Award-winning author and futurist Robert J. Sawyer. He's written a couple of dozen books. Greg referenced one of them, Quantum Night, which was partly set in Winnipeg. The bad breath doctor himself, Dr. Harold Katz. He's come all the way from California, and he's brought along... Uh, Kind of a menacing-looking device here, Greg. What is that hum, Dr. Katz? It's called the halometer. It measures halitosis. Oh, my God. It actually measures the amount of sulfur that's in your breath produced by bacteria. Uh, there are chemicals that uh, they can pick up. One's called hydrogen sulfide. That's the rotten egg smell. And, of course, you have your cadaverine and putrescine. That, the what? Uh, cadaverine? Cadaverine and putrescine. That's uh, what bacteria are producing. No, cadaverine, that sounds like a, like dead. Cadaver. Yeah, it's the smell of rotting flesh. Yo, Outstanding. That's what you smell in bad breath. It's true. <laughs> okay. <laughs> Same <So>, principle. Cadaverian. <laughs> Write that down. Cadaverine <laughs> and putrescine. Yes, when, not uh, my sister-in-law's name. When Brett comes back from home, <laughs> holidays, I'm going to have him work that into a, a regular conversation. Yes. Cadaverine and putrescine. Now, yeah. are, these, are these like words that uh, were derived from, like the cadaverine, was it derived from the fact that cada cadavers are yes. stinky? Well, well, yeah, what happens when uh, proteins uh, are broken down by bacteria, uh, you get the what we call bacterial poop, uh, and that's the smell. <laughs> that's the smell. The, 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 this is real life. For instance, you, let's say you go on holiday uh, and you forgot you left a piece of meat out on the kitchen counter, and you come back from Disneyland two weeks later, and the place stinks horribly. Right. That's the effect of bacteria working on proteins. Same thing happens inside the mouth. Um, if your mouth gets dry, uh, an effect takes place where bacteria that are normally part of your oral flora start to work on uh, food particles, and they extract uh, the sulfur compounds from amino acids and proteins, and that's what you smell. 
So that's, that's why you got bad breath. So you used to be a dentist. Yeah, a dentist. I also have a degree in bacteriology. And about 25 years ago, my own daughter had a bad breath problem when she was a teenager. Uh, on the way home from school, uh, her friends would offer her gum and mints, sort of hinting she had bad breath. Now, her problem was she was in the girls' basketball team. And her mouth became dry after a game or after practice. And once your mouth becomes dry, you've set it up an, you've set it up an environment where the bacteria go to town. Saliva is sort of uh, God's gift to us. It keeps the pH balanced. Uh, it has oxygen in it, which attacks the anaerobic bacteria that are causing all this mess. So saliva is important. Once your mouth starts to get dry, things get out of whack. And uh, one of the things that's going to be happening October 17th is everyone's going to be you know, smoking a doobie. And they're going to end up... Moving to Canada, Dr. Katz? <laughs> uh, we already have in Los Angeles. <laughs> it's all good. Yeah. Uh, yeah. So the, the effect, obviously, you know, some people need it for medical purposes. Uh, but you have to put in perspective some of the negative effects that can happen inside your mouth. You mentioned uh, bad breath. Yes. Um, and trying to tell someone in a nice way that they have bad breath. And I'm wondering, because I yes. just give you a quick story here. I had uh, had a lady over one time and, uh, you know, in the morning, I, I'm like super neurotic about I, like having that morning breath. So yeah. I get up and mouthwash or gum uh -huh. or a mint breath, whatever, breath spray. So I, I, I popped a, I think it was like one of those Listerine kind of oh, strips, strips yeah. Yeah. yeah, and I offered her one, and I said, okay, how about some breath spray? No, no, you don't want that? How about some gum? She just refused to take the wow. hit. How do you tell someone nicely? Uh, okay. You need some assistance. Well, we have something called the Telefriend Program. So uh, we have a, the website in the States is therabreath.com, T-H-E-R-A breath.com. We have one for Therabreath Canada as well. On the top of the homepage, there's a link which asks, know someone with bad breath. Click on it. A form pops up. It's all anonymous. Uh, and it asks, uh, if you know someone with bad breath, give us our email, your their email address. Uh, and then I will take care of it from there. We send them a nicely worded email saying that it could be due to large tonsils. Uh, people care about you. You can't smell your own breath. So we, we take care of it anonymously. Okay. I, I can smell my own breath. I, no, that's how you oh, smell your hand. Yeah, man, that smells so good. <laughs> okay. You're smelling your hand cream. Well, we're going to test our yes. breath. And we, you want to? should we go up on Facebook Live for this too in the 680 CGOB Facebook? Okay. Okay. All right. You guys are brave. We're going to do that. Dr. Harold Katz is here. He is the bad breath doctor. He's come all the way from California. Marijuana is going to be legal in Canada as of October 17th. Whether you're smoking pot or regular cigarettes, it's important to be aware of the toll on your oral health, like dry mouth and bad breath and what you can do to prevent it. So, Dr. Harold Katz, this device before yes. we actually, oh, and we'll do it in a second here, okay. but what is this contraption? Oh, Where did you get it? It's called a halometer. It's actually made by a company out in Southern California. Uh, they do... Uh, um, gas detector okay. ga gas detectors uh, it was actually used in the mining industry for a number of years and then we sort of had it modified uh, for use in oral care and it measures the amount of sulfur in parts per billion it goes from zero up to 2,000 okay. anything above 100 means your breath sucks that's a, te <laughs> that's a technical term we use uh, the highest number we ever had was 1,800 uh, that was a physician in uh, Sacramento California smoked uh, two packs of cigarettes a day drank two bottles of wine a day and couldn't understand why his patients never came back. Okay. So his uh, staff called us up, and we helped him out, and we can help you too. Well, here, let okay. me... Uh, All you got to do is stick your tongue out and hold your breath. Stick my tongue out and hold my yeah, breath. Yeah, it's going to suck up some of your breath air. Okay. All right. So... Ah. Uh, uh, hold it right there. I'll read out the numbers. Oh, my God. 
Uh, oh my, you're so close to a uh, one. 106, 107. And what was the, sorry, what's the rating? Anything above 100 means your breath sucks and you, <laughs> you suck. <laughs> but so, just barely. Now, yeah, I have to explain. People on the radio do talk a lot. You use up 1.5 liters of saliva a day and you probably used up your fill already. Yeah, we drink a lot. We have to drink a lot of water okay. just to kind of. No, I just changed straws here. So you ready to get that? Oh, look at that. We're running out of, we're running out of time. <laughs> uh, <laughs> this, was, uh, this was Kate Upton's straw. I hope you don't mind. Oh, I don't mind at okay, all. Okay. Stick your tongue out. Hold your breath. Oh, sorry. Uh, so Greg yeah. is. <laughs> yeah, Greg is uh, seven. Oh, is a little better. Oh, his breath. 86. Yeah, man. Oh, 86. 86. Yeah. Okay, so. 86. So Greg had 86, and I had 108. 104. Or 104. Yeah. No, okay. I do have good news, though. I did bring some of the TheraBreath products for you here. Uh, so I'll leave. There's like uh, five packages here. There's mouthwash, toothpaste, and breath mints. So I'll definitely leave it for you guys because you're going to need it. But uh, Does good, that make me more kissable, Dr. Katz? Yes, Katz? of course. No, you're both kissable. Just one of you need a little help. So, but but it, it's understandable. In the morning, I know you guys get here really early in the morning. Yep. Morning breath is a concern because when you sleep at night, you don't, don't produce any saliva. Uh, so one tip for everyone is eat a little something first thing in the morning to kickstart the saliva. Um, uh, I've treated supermodels, and they smell terrible because they don't eat breakfast. So for you oh. supermodels out there, make sure you eat something in the morning. Um, and we've done studies in the TheraBeth. It works for 24 hours. Use it uh, twice a day, and you always have fresh breath. You can get it at uh, Walmart and Shoppers and Rexall. And Those London mints Dirt. that you have are oh, incredible. Got some right here. Got some right here. Yeah. Mouth wedding lozenges. Yeah. Yes. We, we just like saying it. Well, yeah. the lo they're great too. Yeah, because they the thing that always blows us away about them is they start off like a normal mint, and then they kind of, there's like an afterburner. That yeah, yeah. In. There's a flower extract in there that the uh, that sort of tingles your taste buds. Yeah. It squeezes out those last few drops of saliva. Now they are mouth wetting. Uh, don't put them in your pants pocket because it'll be pants wetting. But. That's just a joke. Okay. <laughs> they are mouth wetting. <laughs> I kind of wanted. Can I? Yeah. I, I, I want another test at another crack at this. Is that possible? Uh, sure. Sure. Okay. Uh, yeah. I'll make another straw here. What, what, what are you suggesting, Brett? I, I that just, it's rigged? No. I don't, no. Not that it's rigged. I just. I. I feel like I. I so. Did, what was the technique again? Do I just? Just stick your tongue out and hold your breath. Just and hold my breath. Yeah. Hold your breath. Well, oh, see, so, you were oh, breathing out. I was exhaling. Oh, okay. That, okay. Okay. Hang on a second. Okay. I'm just gonna oh. hit record on my camera. All right. So I just. Stick my tongue out and yeah, hold my hold breath. Hold your breath. Yeah. All right, here we go. Okay. Hold it right there. Dead air is usually not a good thing in radio. Here no, we go. It still sucks. Gmax still more kissable. You can't fool the halometer. Well, you know, I just wanted to, to make sure. Yeah, and, we yeah. we made. But uh, uh, for your listeners, I, I do have some free samples, if I, if I may. They can call my office. I'll send them some freebies. 800-557-9541. 800-557-9541. And you guys can smell great, too. And sorry, what was that number one more uh, time? 800 557 Nine five four one. Nine five four one. Yeah. Okay. Free therabeth mouthwash, uh, toothpaste, and uh, those breath mints. Yeah, the mints uh, in particular Excellent. are just uh, spectacular. Well, yeah. thanks for letting us try well, this. Well, thanks for being brave because not too many people want to do that live. Well, we also appreciate as well how you pointed out that you know we've been talking all day and that does add to well, it. Well, it's it's true. Radio people tend to have the worst breath. Oh, good. <laughs> for <laughs> 
first thing in the first thing in the morning. I meant because morning, it's early in the morning. We can put that on a resume. Unless you've been smoking marijuana, which I'm not going to say. Yeah, no, we have not been. We definitely have not been. Okay. Okay, well, Dr. Katz, thank you so much. Okay. What's your website? Uh, it's therabreathcanada.com, T-H-E-R-A, breathcanada.com. Dr. Harold Katz, the bad breath doctor, always a pleasure to speak to you and a real pleasure to finally meet you okay. in person. Likewise, likewise. All sorts of videos up at the CJOB Instagram account. Yesterday afternoon, the three of us got together. Usually we do a, a lunch or something uh, like that when we get together, but yesterday afternoon w- was more work-like, but one of those opportunities, I said it to you le- yesterday when I left, that's usually reserved for celebrities and millionaires to get to do what we did yesterday afternoon at the intersection of of Waverly and Sterling Lion Parkway. Yeah, that's right. It was that we got to see Cavalia, Odiseo from the backstage. We got uh, a personal tour of the facilities, and it was, I was kind of like a little shocked at how much stuff was going on back there. I think she described uh, to kind of a village. It really was like a little village back there. You can only see the main tent from Keniston as you drive by. Sure. But holy smokes, there's a lot of stuff going on back there. Well, it's been an extremely successful run here in Winnipeg. Uh, Also, as we learned yesterday, eventually, next year, Cavalia will be moving to a permanent location. So to get this show in Winnipeg twice in three years just goes to show how popular it's been and how our community has embraced the show. And it's not only the fans and number of people that come, the number of people involved in the show behind the scenes, it's staggering. Yeah, we spoke to Adrien Dumont, who is a groomer and one of the riders at Cavalia Odiseo. And she told us about the number of people involved. Really insane, really, how many people it takes to take care of all the aspects of their lives. We have about 12 full-time grooms that are only responsible of their physical and and mental well-being and we have a lot of trainers that are there to make sure that they're ready for the show um obviously performers and and um, aerialists riders and vet techs and uh, stable hands and it really takes a village to now, one of the things that uh, it was it was cool because when we wandered into the, the the back stable area where some of the horses were being cleaned and others were just hanging out and chilling, it was like they just people walking horses along would just kind of come up behind you. Mm-hmm. You'd think that it would be noisier, but not very stealth like. There are at least three times where I kind of just turned over my shoulder and had to get out of the way because there was just a horse wandering around, and I noticed we were hanging out with a horse named Frosty, and then next to him was a horse named Gus, and then we eventually met one named Silver. So I thought, these are all male horses. Are they all male? Yes, yes. Why is that? Very good question. Um, The main reason is that we have a lot of stallions. that means that uh, they are most likely to focus on us if we don't put any distractions around. And if we had mares <laughs> around, it would be a whole different show. So we uh, decided to, uh, to stick with um, males, males uh, for the show. So but t- we could what have... you're saying is typical boys would get distracted by girls. By pretty girls, yes, exactly. So our pretty mares have to stay away. <laughs> um, and also stallions have a very natural 
um, sparkling energy for, for the show. We love their, their natural fire that they have. So that's why we decided to go with stallions. But we could have decided to go with mares as well. They're fantastic performers as well. But for the purposes of our show, because we decided to have stallions, we had to make a choice. We had to say, okay, only, only boys. Now, obviously, you're looking forward to a vacation for the next couple of weeks coming up, Brett, but the horses look forward to vacation as well. And we asked Adrien what uh, times off or off times are like for Frosty and his friends. Very special part of our tour. Um, it's a moment that we spend with our horses in a farm that we rent, usually halfway between Frosty. the last city we were in and the next one. Because our horses, like, like anyone who loves their job, need sometimes uh, a little break. And so the way our tour is structured is that we do a city run in a certain place and then we go for a nice break with our horses where they just lie in the sun in big paddocks. They are normal horses for about two weeks. Um, basically the time that it takes us to build all of this in the next, uh, the next location. And um, after that vacation, we come back to the next city rested and ready to perform again. So it's a nice balance between the two and it makes us able to perform all year long that way. Where's your next break then? Where are you going to get your vacation between somewhere between here and Montreal? I'm very excited. We're going close to my home for, for uh, the next city. So we'll be somewhere in Quebec, very, very close to Montreal. And uh, it's summer there, so it's going to be beautiful. It's going to be warm. Now, Adrienne mentioned uh, she's from Quebec. The show is from Quebec, created by Quebec's Normand Latourel. So I asked her, is everyone involved from Quebec? A lot of the crew is from Quebec but um, a lot of our performers are actually international. So we have a lot of Europeans involved in the show. I think um, uh, the tradition of equestrian um, performing arts is, is more prominent in Europe. So that's why we have a lot of Europeans interested in working in, in our show. But the show is Canadian, it, it's from Quebec. So we have a lot of, of uh, people from Quebec that are involved uh, in the show. All the technicians are almost all from Quebec. So you hear Quebec uh, accents everywhere and the French make fun of us a lot. The French writers are always laughing at us because they think it sounds so great and so different. And like the, the actual, like from France writers? Yes, okay. exactly, exactly. Okay. And uh, it's fun. We, we really get to experience different cultures here. We have people from Guinea, we have um, Australians, we have Brazilians, a lot of Europeans, as I said. So it's, uh, it's really, really cool for us to be able to, to experience different aspects of their culture, different la languages. We have um, all the flags of all the countries, everybody in the production that are in our artistic room. And we're running out of space because we don't know uh, we don't know where to put the next flags. We just there's too many nationalities. So that's Adrien, who is from Quebec. We all she mentioned that uh, some of the the French people involved in the production laugh at the Quebecers because their accent is different. And we we had that contrast immediately because the first person, the contact person, was Laure, which is spelled like Laurel. With no L at the end, right? So and we were we were confused. Is it Laura? Is it Laurel? No, it's Laure. And she was a terrific uh, tour guide from and, France. From France, yes. And it was interesting to note that the horses know their commands on anglais and on français. Yeah, and some of them were in Spanish too. Right? Yes, very very cool. Yeah, and it's they, the horses 
are there to work just like everyone else. So the working conditions, just from my observations, and I've been in lots of horse barns in my day, this is spectacular. Uh, the horses seem very happy, but you know there are going to be people that wonder about the whole idea of having a horse have a job. Do they, do they like what they do, as far as we know? Definitely. For me, this is not a job, either for us or for them. Um, it's a way of living with our horses. Uh, we, we want our horses to thoroughly enjoy what they do, because if they didn't, they couldn't perform every night. They couldn't do it. Um, their well-being and their care is at the center of everything that we do. So um, all of our energies are focused around their life and, and their well-being. We always um, are paying attention when we bring a new horse to this, to this environment if they enjoy it because it's like humans. Tour is fantastic and, and the show is fantastic, but if you're not made to do that, if you don't have the personality to enjoy the lights and the actions and the people, everyone. it's not for exactly. You cannot uh, be in an environment like that. So we're always very careful when we bring a new horse to be uh, certain that they love the applause and they love the, the actions and the lights. Um, you see it right away. Usually it's like people. It's, you see it right away. When you're made for this, you, you feel it. It's an it factor, even with horses. <laughs> exactly. And I, I have to retract uh, calling this a barn. This is like a horse condo <laughs> or horse mansion. Adrien Dumont, our tour guide, one of the groomers and riders at Cavalia Odiseo, which is on until July 8 at the Big White Top at uh, Keniston and Sterling Lion and Wilkes. And um, we got a nice little tour yesterday. Thank you so much to everyone involved who made that happen for us. And if you want to see, I, I took tons of video while Greg was interviewing and doing, getting the audio that we could play for you here. I was getting video footage to post on the 680 CJOB Instagram, where you will find a video of Frosty getting up close and personal with Behind the Glass Jerry. I think they, he liked you the best because uh, because you're the vegan. That's right. He could smell that I don't eat meat. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I didn't want to say it yesterday, but I actually, I'd gone to Ikea for meatballs for lunch. <laughs> so, you know, there's been some controversy about those meatballs in the past. Oh, wow. Oh, yeah. And you can Google that as well. I, I, I'm not going to stretch it out any further than that. Okay. Jerry knows what I'm talking about. <laughs> okay. I'll have to do some research. So, yeah, again, go to the CJOB Instagram and uh, you can check out all the videos there of me, Greg, and Jerry at Cavalia Odiseo. That's all the time we have. I'm Brett McGarry. He's Greg Mackling. Thanks to Behind the Glass, Jerry and Shannon Lee Vidal. And thank you for listening to CJOB. Hello.